0: okay don't touch it daryl <laughs> yes yeah. well i usually have to for sunday school there's a place i have to poke it to um okay so for sunday school class this morning we have steve van horn here from international training and equipping mis- uh, ministries um, and you were here probably a year and a half ago or something like that something like that, something like that. there's like you know i know there's been ways with uh, open with prayer, and I'll we'll let Steve uh, talk to us. And Father God, we thank you so much for your grace, uh, for the way you take care of us, the way you equip us, the way you teach us, and we thank you for all those who you have given this ministry to and you work through them in, in, in reaching out to your people. Lord, we just pray that you'll uh, bless Steve as he presents their ministry to us, and uh, just, uh, again, continue to watch over and care for that ministry, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yes, I was here some time ago, and so for some of you this may be some review. Uh, But there's some changes going on, and uh, I'm going to be excited to tell you about those. But uh, when I'm, I think you know that I'm involved in, have been involved in Africa since 1998 and just finished my 74th trip to Africa something like that and so getting pretty familiar with it but when i talk to groups there i i'd like to i start out by they they love family and the idea i know we do as well so i always let them know that i've been married to one woman for 53 years we'll be working on 54 in january and uh, i have two children, they're both daughters, and this is how I do it for them, and they, they kind of enjoy this. I have two children, and they're both daughters. Uh, so there's my wife and my two daughters. The one in the center is my second born. The one with the hat is my first born. And my first born has four children, and they're all, girl- they're all girls. <laughs> and my second born has two children, and they're girls. And so by this time my friends in Africa are really kind of getting into it and I let them know that my number one granddaughter has one child now that just turned one year old. So I've got a great granddaughter that's one year old, also like I said, a girl. My number three granddaughter has one child that just became one year old that the two granddaughters worked it out so they would be pregnant simultaneously, got within two weeks, not too bad. That one's a girl. So by this time, everybody in you know in in the, in the group in Africa is getting all excited and having a good time. And I said, my second, my number two granddaughter has two children, so that's four great grandchildren. And then by that time, I'm saying, and they are, they're boys. <laughs> so I've got two daughters, six granddaughters, two great granddaughters. And now two, and two great-grandsons, and the great-grandson is like six or seven, so you know that means I must be getting old. But I had had a desire for uh, some time. Those of us who grew up with the original Disney, when you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are and whatever the, and your dreams come true my for my dream had been to go to Disneyland one more time with a family and so after talking about it for a couple of years uh, there's my two daughters at Disneyland and that's the group and we spent 3 days together last March at Disneyland and my two daughters are there, uh, two uh, two great our two grandsons-in-law, one son-in-law, and I mean the whole clan was there. So, I just that was a great time. To us, family is very special, and I'm sure it's the same for you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pack a lot into our time together. So uh, you're gonna have to listen fast. But there's a lot that I want to cover. I want to cover a little bit of the background, uh, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. So we're going to move through some things here pretty quickly. A study was done uh, not too long ago, and the projection was: you see that red that red bar over there on the edge? That by 2060, four in ten Christians are expected to live in sub-Sahara Africa 40 percent of the so the Christian community sub-Sahara Africa now that could be Catholic that could be anybody that would identify with Christ one way or another but 42 percent in sub-Sahara Africa and you'll see the two two charts there the one over here 2015 only three out of the top 10 countries in the world with Christian populations in 2015, uh, we're on the Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and 2060. I've got Brazil. I made the box at the wrong spot. Six out of ten will be in Sub-Saharan Africa, the most populated uh, Christian nations in the world, and so Africa is the future. Africa and Asia are the future of Christianity because that's where that's where the numbers are increasing exponentially. So here's a little study that was done, uh, the circle down there at the lower. The green is a strong Muslim area. The red is a strong so-called Christian area, the Christian south. That yellow part is where the tension is between Muslim, Islam, and Christianity. And that's where the pressure is right now that the Muslims are pushing into those areas as they continue to move down from the north. So there was, in this particular article in World Magazine, uh, here was one of the quotes. While many sub-Saharan African countries boast of large Christian populations, their impact or influence is hardly seen or noticed in the real world. So there's a lot of Christians, but very little impact. And it goes on to say that the church in these nations has largely lost credibility and is accused of being totally irrelevant in society. And that was a quote from a group called Transforming Nations Alliance that did this study. And then also went on, a deep Christianity can readily deal with the Islamic threats, but Christian leaders acknowledge that and then underline their continent-wide belief is often only a centimeter deep. When I first went there in 1998, a quote that I heard from the beginning, and they're still quoting it, is that Christianity in Africa is like a river a mile wide, an inch deep. Well, this study said a quarter of an inch deep. So it's less now? Well, <laughs> that's less just the deep. way they see it. But the point is, it's very, very shallow. So Conrad Mbewe is a Baptist pastor in the Saka Zambia, and he's very outspoken about what's going on there, and he speaks all over the world, and he, would, he speaks in kind of the network that we would be a part of, and here's what he says, for many worship is simply dancing to very loud music, preaching and just shouting nice sounding platitudes into the microphone as loud as you can. And this is what church has become. Mm-hmm. And so when we see videos of the church in Africa and they're singing and they're dancing, and we say, oh, isn't it wonderful? Well, we don't know what they're celebrating because music, singing and dancing, is just so much a part of the culture I had a missionary say to me one time, uh, a vocational, lifelong missionary, uh, he said, if you could hear the words that they were singing in their, their native tongue, you would understand how questionable their theology is. And so we have to be real careful. It's it just oftentimes simply dancing, singing and dancing to very loud music. And of course, we don't know the heart. God does. But this is one of their own. He says, Protestant churches are on every street. The evangelical faith is totally absent. Churches have become dens of iniquity. Pastors are impregnating young girls, getting them to abort and paying parents hush money. Hardly anyone is hungering, thirsting for righteousness. And moral living is on the increase. And then in the preface to the African Bible commentary, the leaders noted that the church in Africa is a mile wide and only an inch deep. And Notice this: deficient knowledge of the Bible and faulty application of its teaching is a primary weakness of the church. Uh, the average pastor in Africa would have a Bible Friday night, Saturday. Start going back and forth primarily from the Old Testament because they learn from narratives, stories. So they're very comfortable with the narratives. That's where they spend almost all their time, and they'll find a verse or a story that maybe they're familiar with, close the Bible, get up on Sunday morning, read a couple of verses, then for 45 minutes just say whatever comes to their mind, saying the Holy Spirit led them. So are more schools the answer? Is that what we need? Well, consider this. A study revealed that over 90% of the untrained pastors will never attend a school. This study went on to say that if every school in the world that was training leadership for the Evangelical Church if every school was filled to 120 percent capacity not a hundred not 99 not 95 a hundred twenty percent capacity less than 10 percent of those needing training would be in school there's just no way schools are going to meet this need so are more seminars the answer which is what part of what we do well one sells South African professor estimated that there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 600,000 seminars a year conducted in sub-Sahara Africa by those of us in the West. 600,000 a year. And yet the church remains an inch deep with little or no impact. What's going on? Well, as I mentioned before, what, what they're saying is that Bible knowledge and application is very efficient. <coughs> Discipleship is something that is just hardly even heard of. So we've put together a strategy called the E4. That's trendy for Ephesians 4. The E4 church strategy of transforming churches in Africa one pastor at a time. What I want to show you is the little bit of the background and then where we've gone to. In the beginning, when I started the ministry in 2003, it was just me and the CCR country coordinators. Uh, I was teaching at a seminary twice a year in Kenya, and students would say, would you come to my country, come to my country, come to my country? So I began to teach a course, go to a country, work with one of my former students. He'd bring pastors together. We'd do seminars, classes, and things together, very, very informal, just a la carte, Nothing really organized. So then what we did is we had each of those country coordinators put together a team of trainers, national trainers, who had gone through our seminar. And at that point, there was only one seminar. And so we began to equip these trainers and these teams to do the seminars on their own so we didn't have to be there to do it. And then we began to recruit Associates and uh, Robert is becoming one of those. He's interested in going back to South Africa and our South Africa, South America, and maybe helping us there, uh, how that may work out. So, we found associates that would then come alongside of the country coordinators to mentor these teams and together do the training. So, then out of that came a level of pastors who were going through the training and we began we began to work with those pastors in each of these countries and we're now up to 15 countries back in the early days it was 6 and it was 10 then it was 12 now it's about 15 and with the idea that eventually some of these pastors as they would become some of the cream of the crop, as we, as we say, and rise to the top and demonstrate leadership and, and aptitude and all these things, we would make them a part of our team and they, they would be, begin uh, being a part of the team, training others. So you can see how coordinator, team, pastors, and then out of the pastors, and so we were, try, we were trying to build this indigenous national team in each of these countries to where we just mentor, supervise, uh, oversee, counsel, but they're the ones that are doing the ministry. So that's a little bit of the background. So as we were doing that, here was the approach that we had that's very common. Our focus was to to train the pastor and have the pastor then go to the church and teach the church. But what we began to understand and see is that the pastors, as they were going through the seminar, they were getting the first seminar focused on Bible and theology, and it was one guy described it as a Bible school in a box, a very intense week, a lot of notes in their own language, and we covered bibliology, pastoral theology, we uh, spiritual warfare, church discipline, and some other thing, the prosperity gospel, which is rampant throughout the continent, and uh, we would Old Testament survey. we surveyed the entire Old Testament, in one lecture, do that. But we slowed down with the New Testament. We took two hours to do the New Testament survey. So it was just a flyover and giving them all of these extensive notes that they could take back and study on their own. All the notes were, were complete. They didn't need to add anything. But what we realized, what we came to realize is that it was giving them knowledge but they weren't taking it back to the church, they weren't passing it on. And so we changed our focus. We said, okay, from now on, our focus is gonna be the church. And unless what we are doing is transforming the church and the lives of the people in the church and impacting the community, we're falling short of the goal. Because you can give pastors all the knowledge that you want, all the notes that you want, give them certificates to put up on their wall that they went through this seminar, But unless that is translating into their ministry, we're falling short. So we decided in this E4 church strategy to put the church in the foreground, the pastor in the background, continue to work with the pastor with a view of whatever we do that he is implementing it in his church. So that's what the E4 strategy is all about. So as we look at Ephesians 4... The E4 church pastor, first of all, it says that God gave gifts to men. He gave some as pastors. So we look at it as the, the pastor as the gift to the church to edify, to be used to edify, equip, train, teach you. He also talks about the apostles, prophets, and evangelists. And that's a whole sermon in itself. Uh, I want to go by that. This is just a quick sidebar rabbit trail. There's those calling themselves apostles and prophets all over Africa, and they're pretty much self-appointed. This guy, here's showing you what's going on. I've got a short video. This is just a screenshot out of the short video of this young man who, this is a room full of protégés, disciples. The video starts out with him in his church on a Sunday morning, Doing all this hocus pocus miraculous stuff, people falling over, supposedly casting out demons, on and, on and on and on and on and on. You get the picture. When it's over, he gets in a brand new Hummer and drives to his office. This young reporter follows him to his office, and as this young reporter goes into the office, the receptionist is the one who had the demon cast out of her that morning. And he says, Aren't you the one that had the demon cast out of you this morning? And she just did this and kind of laughed and said, "I I don't remember. But they allowed him to go back into the room where this pastor was training his group to expand the pastor's kingdom. That's my words. And here was one of the quotes as he was talking to this group God is a game. And the game is very easy. God is a game. And the game is very easy. Because I think because traditional religions is so much a part of their history and so much a part of their lives where witchcraft ancestor worship is all a part of what they've grown up with. And the spirit world, the demon world, ancestor spirits, that they're so into all of that, when you can put on a show and make people believe that you have some kind of control over the spirit world, you can draw a crowd. And there's a lot of people doing that and making a lot of money doing it. This is one of them. So what about the pastor's identity? <clears throat> one thing that we pull out is that Hebrews thirteen seven says, remember those who lead you, who led you, who spoke the word of God to you? It says, concentrate or look at their life and imitate their faith. Pastors, leaders who speak the word of God to us are to be examples. And so we want the pastors that we're working with to be the examples that they're called to be. Equippers. God gave to the church pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. And an expositor. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 13, he said, Timothy, until I come, you give your attention to the reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. In other words, read it, explain it, and apply it. And so that is our focus with the pastor. We want him to be an example, an equipper, and an expositor. And so everything that we are doing is, is helping them to move in this direction, his preparation, as I said, our first, uh, first seminar deals with Bible and theology. And that's what we did for a number of years until we realized that that alone wasn't enough. So I thought, okay, what are the next steps to move that pastor along? And so we developed a second seminar. It's an ICOMP, uh, Item Conference on Ministry and Preaching, where the first half of the the seminar is out of Ephesians 4, what is a healthy church, what is an equipped member, what is a mature member, and just all of these essentials in building a mature church. And so we go through that, the first half of the seminar, then we focus on preaching and say, Pastor, that if you want to have that kind of church, you need to do more in the area of preaching teaching than what you're doing right now. You need to get into the word, you need to teach the word, especially when we focus on the New Testament, especially the epistles, which were written to Christians and churches and and here's how to build the church, build the members in the church. You follow me so far? We're going in a real hurry, in a hurry, but we'll keep going. So, seminar number 1, seminar number 2. You remember what that South African professor said about seminars? 600,000 seminars a year done by those of us in the West. And yet the church remains a mile wide, an inch deep. Why? Because seminars, lectures, and classes don't change behavior. Seminars, lectures, and classes do not change behavior. These pastors have no models. They don't know what exposition looks like. There's very few around that are doing any of it. So, even early on, we gave some of our teams, our teams, 40 hours of Bible study methods, 40 hours in preaching, came back six months later, they weren't doing any of it. Because, again, it's just information, it's new information. Life's busy. So what we did is we thought, all right, we need to now add mentoring. Helping, taking the pastors by the hand in small groups, meeting on a regular basis, and helping them implement what they've been learning in the seminars. And so that's the Ephesians 4, the E4 strategy. Bible theology seminar, very intense Bible school in a box. Then a healthy church and preaching, so in a matter of a week we go through what theologians call the ecclesiology, which is church the-, the theology of the church, and homiletics, which is preaching. We do that in a week together. Bible theology, the church, preaching. Okay, guys, let's put you into a small group, and now we're going to help you implement all these things. And there's additional content. We get into theology proper, who is God, and just more of these things as we're moving them through this mentoring process. What about the church member as we look at Ephesians chapter 4? What does it say? It says that the pastor is to equip the saints. So we want the church member to be equipped. For what? For every good work to the building up of the body of Christ building up in what way both quality and quantity that the members to be equipped to help build up the body spiritually through fellowship but also in numbers quantity doing evangelism and so we want them to be equipped we want them to be serving each one of us, and I, I, you know this, each one of us have been gifted by God to be involved in the ministry in the church. Each one of us. Some of us have been put in front to speak. Others have been put in a quiet little corner to serve. My wife has the gift of mercy, so she, she's petrified to get up in front of a group like this. But you put her in the corner... With a, with and I, and I say this respectfully, but I but intentionally, with say uh, a woman who is needy, and dealing with things, she attracts those kind of women like a like a bead of honey, because of her gift of mercy, and so each one of us have a gift to serve the body, and it's up to the leadership to help you find that and get you involved, so we want to see them equipped serving, mature, until we all attain the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or woman. Mature. And so we talk about what does it mean to be mature and what a mature believer looks like. And then no longer deceived. So to be to mature to the measure of the stature of the Son of God, that we are no longer children tossed here and there by every wave of doctrine. And with a number of false teachers that are flooding sub saharan Africa, it is so easy for uh, a believer who knows little to nothing about what Scripture really teaches, the truth of Scripture, to be deceived by a very influential, eloquent apparently powerful man of God that's drawing attention and building a crowd. It's so easy for them to be drawn into that. And so we want the members to be equipped, serving, mature, knowing the word, understanding at least the basics so that they're not deceived by what they see on television which is 24-7 the prosperity gospel. So what about the church? The church is built up, unified doctrinally, till we all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, Christ-like to a mature man for the measure of Christ, and characterized by love, speaking the truth in love. And so this is the, the Ephesians 4 church, and the Ephesians 4 church model, the Ephesians 4 strategy that we are building inside of our ministry and we've been involved in uh, these different countries, Madagascar, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Burundi, Rwanda, DRC, uh, that's the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Congo Republic, Nigeria, Liberia, Ghana, and Cameroon, but actually recently we've, we've been at Malawi, Zambia. We've got contacts now in Ethiopia, and I, I'm i not sure where else. But also, we've now uh, broken ground in India. One of our board members has contacts in the Philippines. This isn't even completely up to date, because now we have work beginning in the Dominican Republic. And so, by God's grace, things continue to expand. And... <laughs> We're just now praying that God provides the resources to support the expansion. One of the other things that is going on over the course of the history of our uh, ministry, we have tried a few different times to start a women's ministry. The woman who started it first uh, came up with uh, an illness where and i can't, i can't describe it i don't where certain odors just caused her system to go bonkers and so she had to almost quarantine herself so that these odors wouldn't get to her so she had to stop another woman came and took over a few years later and she is now elderly and her health is not allowing her to travel any longer and she's got family members that uh, are also need health-wise, and so she's had to back off. And we have a new woman that is working with us. She'll be making her uh, second trip in just a few weeks. Uh, She's building a ministry there, working with a a Kenyan woman to get a foothold, set some roots down in Kenya, and then then go from there. So if any of you ladies want to get involved in women's ministry, or if you want to just let other women know, we're looking to... Uh, build that team as well and here's where I'm going to talk about some of the transition in our ministry and here's where I'm going to end because for years for years we've wanted to start some kind of a youth ministry the mean age in Africa right now is 20 20 it's the youngest continent in the world Sixty percent of the population is between like 18 and 29. It's the youngest continent on the continent or in the world. And as I showed you early on, the numbers say that, that's, that the future of Africa is significant. And so when you think about the emerging generation in Africa, you see the importance of being sure that they are ready, to move the church out of this 1 inch deep paralysis that it's been in for how long and so we've wanted to start a youth ministry that's one thing at at my I've got four great-grandkids, okay? And one of them is 6 or 7, so you do the math and we're in the process of uh, handing over the church, the E4 strategy, to a younger man. He's only in his early 50s. <laughs> Some of you know what I mean when I say a younger man. <clears throat> and uh, he's, he's in the saddle. He's uh, getting out in front of this thing. And for a couple of years past, our board of directors have thought, Okay, 2024, it'll be time for Steve to kind of slow down and step back. I can't. (laughs) I'm just too energetic. I've got too much I want to accomplish. But here's here's my point. Do you understand what apologetics is? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give an answer to make a defense for the hope that's within you. Just being prepared to answer the questions that people are asking about Christianity. Good answers not just shooting from the hip. And that's always been an interest of mine. And a couple of years ago, in, when I was in Africa, it's like in the middle of the night, God hit me with a lightning bolt and said, yeah, use apologetics as a platform to work with the youth. And when we say youth, and now we're, talking about, we're talking about primarily post-high school. That's what they see as youth college and even beyond college. The emerging leadership generation. But use an apologetics platform to reach them and to prepare them because everything that comes out of the West hits Africa. And they are starting to see the whole LGBTQ thing poke its head up out of the ground. Uh, just one example, Kenya, most of these countries, a lot of these countries have an actual law against homosexual activity. Right or wrong, they do. They just do. Kenya's one of them, and yet Kenya recently gave permission to an LGBTQ group to set up a nonprofit and an NGO in Kenya, even though it's outlawed. I'm telling you, this is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. And so I've started meeting with college groups. Uh, I was on the... University of Rwanda campus, just a few weeks ago, meeting with some young evangelical leaders saying, I want to prepare you for what's coming. They said, Steve, it's not coming, it's here. And I've got an article interviewing a young woman who is a university student in East Africa, saying things like, I'm kind of paraphrasing her quote, uh, I'm really questioning religion and the goodness of religion because it is so repressive and it's so patriarchal. Well, these are the things that we're hearing in our culture, but they're coming right out of the West to Africa. And the universities, like here, are gonna be right at the center of it there as professors from the West begin to fill spots in the universities there. And so I'm very passionate about working with the younger generation. I tell people at the age of 75, almost 76, I want to be a youth pastor. Because this is my passion now. And uh, not only that, but I'm trying to, I, I mean, I'm, I'm available. I just say this, I've told Robert, I say to you, I'm available to help you think through, I see the age of most of us here, how to deal with a younger generation. This young generation is, is a whole different generation And there's specific ways to to engage them, other ways we don't want to engage them. These are the things that I'm studying, I'm reading, I'm listening to podcasts. And so I'm just trying to be available. Also to young, young families who have kids in the government schools. And how do you respond when your kid comes home and says, what's a preferred pronoun? How do you respond to that? So this is where my heart is. Right now, I'm gonna. I've got just a few more minutes. I'm, I don't know how much of this I can bring up, but I'll just let me see over here. I just want to show you one thing. I think this is what I wanted to show you. Yeah. I'm gonna go through just the first few slides of this and then I'll be done. Go away down here. You're supposed to be going away. Okay. So, one of the presentations that I've made is for grandparents. And I'm just going to go through the first three slides. We talk about how God has a place for us, that we're here now for a reason. It's not time to fold up our tent. And I talk about Romans 1 and how America's feeling effects of turning... They're back on god sexual revolution environmentalism homosexuality every form of depravity and it's even celebrated so what are we to do and you know the serenity prayer how many of you are familiar with serenity prayer i wonder how many of us apply it look at that first part god grant me the serenity to accept the things that i cannot change are you willing to accept the things in our culture that you cannot change Back during the George Floyd thing and the BLM riots all over the country, people were asking me about that, what do we do, what's going on, what do we do, what do we do? And God reminded me of this. My dad died with this poem in his wallet. And I looked at that first part and I said, you know, Lord, I have very little influence on the big stuff going on in our culture. Help me just to accept it. So I created a mental serenity bucket And every time somebody says, can you believe what? I say, that goes in my serenity bucket. What about this? Serenity bucket. My wife will bring things up. I'll say, we can't do anything about it. There's nothing we can do about it. Serenity bucket. She doesn't have a serenity bucket. (laughs) But then the second one. The courage, the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Have you ever thought, okay, if I have very little to say about the big stuff, the high-level stuff, the macro stuff, what's the stuff that I can change, that I can have an influence? So I look at Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Notice this. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So I ask the question, who are the some and the others in your life? Who are the some and the others in your life? That's where the focus ought to be. Focus on the some and the others, family, Friends, neighbors, co-workers, if you're still employed. I talk about in this in this particular seminar that I do, I talk about the key role of parents and grandparents. It's all through scripture, the importance of parents and grandparents. It's still a fact that parents are the leading influence in a kid's life. It's been demonstrated. That's not just opinion. That has been demonstrated. So there's a website, PromisetoamericasParents.org, that has resources. What about grandparents? You look through the Old Testament and talk about generations. Grandparents have an important role, or can have an important role, in the life of their grandkids. And I would normally look at these scriptures that talk about that. I like Second Timothy 1.5, where Paul says to Timothy, I know the faith that's in you that was first in your mother and grandmother, and just the influence that moms and grandmoms and parents in general, and something else that they're finding is the most stable, and this just doesn't just surprise any of us, is the importance of a father in the house, a father in the household, I like one quote that I've heard is children don't need parents. What? They need a mother and a father. Because moms and dads offer things totally different from each other, but kids need both. And so we talk about that. For the parents, our grandparents there's the Leg- Legacy Coalition, an organization that ministers to grandparents and helps grandparents know to how how to have a ministry in the lives of their grandkids. Loving your neighbor, engaging the some and the others, and I won't go any farther than that, but we talk about that our battle is not against the people who are so at war with our culture. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We are to be Christ's ambassadors, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Know how to respond. In the seminar I do, we help people know how to respond. This is the one about being ready to give a defense. 2 Timothy 2.24 says we are to be gentle, able to teach, patient, with gentleness. This is how we approach the issues in our culture. And so for those, I'll end with this, people who don't believe in God, what if they don't believe the Bible? What if they have negative feelings towards Christianity, have a conversation? The questions that are beginning to be asked by a younger generation today is not, is Christianity true, but is Christianity good? Not is Christianity true, but is Christianity good? I have a granddaughter who says, Grandpa, if God is so good, why would He send anybody to hell to burn in a fire for eternity? That's a tough question. And in Cameroon, war going on. I was asked, Churches in Cameroon are praying that God would end the war. He hasn't ended the war. Why not? In Rwanda, where the genocide in 1994 million a million Tutsis were killed in like three weeks. Why did God allow the genocide? In Kenya, there's been a, an extensive drought that has killed people and cattle. Why did God allow that? And I could go on and on and on. Is Christianity good? We have to have answers for that. So that's what I'm doing now, trying to help people think that through and, and know how to have a conversation, I put an underline on conversation because the younger generation doesn't want to listen to lectures, but they're very open to having a conversation. And so we talk about all of that. So that's where you've been, where we are, where we're going, where I'm going. All in this amount of time, let me, let me, oh, on the back table, worst on the back table there's a couple of recent newsletters, plus also Transforming Churches, one pastor at a time, which is kind of the philosophy. Take any of you want. I've got some sheets of paper back there. If you want to get the newsletter, want more information, just use the blank side, write me a note, and we'll be in contact. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share with these folks of yours what you have been doing, are doing, how you've led us in this ministry over the years, and we're so grateful. And we just stand in awe We feel like a spectator. It's not what we've done, but we've just kind of followed the current that you've been leading. And as I look to the future and the things that we have planned, Lord, we ask for your grace, for your wisdom, for your direction, and and for myself. As I'm beginning to work with this younger generation, their parents or grandparents, Lord, I would pray for open doors as we all together want to be effective tools in your hand in Jesus name. Amen. So I-